what does it mean to be a man? Kind of similar to a episode I posed uh, a, a couple weeks ago when I was talking about mentorship, but what does it mean to be a man? The reason this question is coming to my mind is because it's one that I intend to ask my 15-year-old son today. What does it mean to him to be a man? So here's a funny thing. Recently, Ellen Page decided to uh, identify as a man and go by the name Elliot Page. So, uh, and and my initial response to that was thinking, well, why do you just get to announce yourself as such? Uh, I personally put a lot of pride in my identity as a man, and for someone to come along and just say, well, I get to call myself that, um, to be honest, it annoyed me a little bit at first. But funny enough, to my own surprise, the more I thought about this, the more I realized that when I think about that, and consider the attributes of a man versus what I would call a grown boy. Very little of it has to do with biology, and and that's the reality. And this is not—I am not somebody who's, you know, uh, woke. And I, I think anybody who knows listening to me, I think it's absurd. Uh, I've made fun of people in the past for. Uh, saying such things as, you know, uh, they, they, they said I would be, this individual I'm thinking of said, I would be a busybody if I questioned somebody's, you know, gender identity or whatever. So that, so I, I found it funny. And the same person was saying that people who are, uh, religious minded, you know, are, are, are stupid and, and gullible and, uh, ridiculous and all these things. So, uh, so I, I, I mocked that. I, I think that's a ridiculous mindset because you're on one hand saying that the, the real world does matter. And on the other, you're saying it doesn't. Um, so th just as background of where I'm coming from, um, but like, like, like I was about to say to my own surprise, very little of the attributes that I attribute to a, a noble man have to do with what's what's between his legs honestly um their attributes of, of courage of protection of confidence of capability of um getting up when you get knocked down i mean those types of things really are, are admirable traits in, in either gender. So there's far more to being a good man than to just have been born male, I believe. What's uh, kind of interesting 
as well as I think about it. I've never been a fan of the term toxic masculinity. Now, I have this crazy habit of actually listening to people I disagree with, um, which <laughs> I, I wish there was... I wish more people could just be like me. <laughs> but seriously, I know when... The, the people who who I know who get behind this concept of toxic masculinity, they're not entirely wrong. Um, because they will say, if, if I'm arguing the point honestly, they will say that not all men are toxic, but some men are, and that is uh, tied into their, whether it's macho-ness or um, uh, aggressiveness or testosterone or whatever you want. And that point is not entirely wrong. There is definitely, now uh, Karen Brody wrote a book called Open Her. Fantastic book um, for any man who wants to as a man, kind of have a better understanding of what women are attracted to, and what and what women would consider to be admirable traits in men. And it's not being a wimp. It's not being a what these little chicken shit pussy guys call being a male feminist. That's not what it's about. It's actually about being strong. It's about demonstrating to her that you are hearing her, uh, those types of things. Um, and, and she makes a good point. She talks about the shadow side of, of these traits. So she, she mentions the, the different traits that are admirable in men, but shows kind of how they can, um, if they're not kept under control, they can be turned into something not good. And I think this is the realm where if you want to suggest toxic masculinity is to the extent that it is a thing, I think that's a better way of looking at it is that it's, it, it's good traits taken to a point of not being good anymore. And, and like, this is anything can be, any trait can be, it's not, you know, unique to men. Uh, so which, which is partially why, you know what I don't like the term because it feels like an attack on manhood and it feels like these uh, woke feminist types and when I say feminist types I'm talking more about men claiming to be feminists uh, are basically insulting the very idea of masculinity and the very idea of masculinity being having courage having strength having uh, the will to protect uh, the, the, the ones who need protection the courage to f stand up against a bully uh, because that needs to be done. There is evil in the world and that needs to be taken down sometimes by force. I mean, that, that, that quote, my, my wife loves it in, um, in Roadhouse, be nice until it's, not, uh, until it's time to not be nice. That's the perfect, to me, the, the, the perfect way to sum up what masculinity should be about. Be nice, be a good person, smile, uh, be pleasant to be around, but also be prepared to stand up and stand your ground and not accept um, malevolence, basically. Um, as I say, I, I think that's pretty 
standard across the board. I mean, women who do that too, I, I, I think I hold all the mo- utmost respect for. But you wouldn't necessarily call them a man, would you? Another key aspect, and see, when I'm thinking of what is a man, what I think I'm trying to differentiate is what what I was saying before, the difference between being a, like a grown boy and a man. And I think the, the word that first pops into my mind is responsibility. Someone who takes responsibility, which implies not making excuses for your lot in life. It implies owning what you need to own. Um, taking taking your life by the reins and doing what needs to be done even when it terrifies you. Personally, I'm terrified of a lot of things. I'm terrified of rejection, actually, now that I think about it. I know there's a lot I would like to share with the world. Um, I think part of this, not to deep dive into my own psychology too much, but um, when I was first, I, I, I studied film at uh, in Vancouver and then went on to, I wanted to be a writer and director and all these things. And um, so I wrote a script I was going to, my, my intention was I was going to make it on a low budget. And so... I, I was preparing. I actually casted it. Uh, my brother was helping me out on the production end of it. Um, it was all going swimmingly. And I was listening to this podcast called Filmmaking Central. I don't think it's around anymore. And he suggested... Uh, yeah, he interviewed a guy called Stephen Ravel who wrote the script Nixon and Ali and a couple others along the way. And this guy said he had the policy where he would read anybody's script and give them feedback. He was quite open. He said, look, you probably won't like what I have to say about it, but I'll read anybody's script. He loved to read uh, and he loved to mentor uh, aspiring writers. So I thought, well, this is basically free advice from a a Oscar-nominated writer as if I'm not going to take him up. So I sent him my script. Um you know, kind of braced myself for the, some harsh criticism. Instead, what I got was, uh, he wanted to buy the script. Uh, he and his, his, uh, writing partner, uh, they wanted to get into producing some films and, and they thought my script would fit into what the, the types of things they wanted to produce. So, so he, he wanted to buy it. Suddenly, like a whole new world of possibilities opened up to me. Suddenly, it was like, oh, I don't have to, you know, come up with tens of thousands of dollars to make my films. I can, you know, sell them as a writer, make money for it, and have somebody else foot the bill, essentially. Uh, that was, wow, that was huge. So they, they, took out uh, what's called an option on the script. So basically it's the option to produce it. So they 
they uh, down, make it kind of a down payment on it, a small amount of about like 10% of the, the purchase price. Uh, they So they got bought the option to produce it under the condition. So basically how it works is that if they secure the financing for it, then they have the right now to produce the film. Um, now, long story short, that never happened. They never were quite able to uh, either attract the, the A-list actors they wanted or, um, or, or quite get the financing exactly where they wanted it. So unfortunately, it, it kind of all sort of fizzled out. I mean, that's the typical Hollywood story. It happens every day, right? Um, but where I'm going with this is that in the meantime, uh, w with this whole concept to me, I, I realized, well, why have I been trying to produce films and, and go broke doing so? Because making films is very expensive. Like even small independent films, very expensive, very time consuming. Um, it just asked my ex-wife, like she wasn't too pleased with the, the money I, I would, you know, dump into these little film projects I would make. Uh, a, a guy I was in a thing said, uh, made, made the joke that, you know, being a heroin addict would be a cheaper hobby than being a filmmaker. Um, I don't know that he was too far off the mark, to be honest. So, so I started writing, just being, saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write rather than, you know, trying to be a director and all these things and an independent filmmaker, I'll work on being a writer. So I, I wrote script after script after script and, and writing is the easy part. Any writer will tell you that writing is the easy part. The difficult part is then selling your work because when you're writing, you're kind of, you're writing for the, an audience of one. Uh, when you're trying to sell your work to someone else, you've got to convince someone, especially if you don't have the, the, um, uh, you're not established as a prolific writer. It's very hard to get your foot in the door. It is. That's just the nature of the business. It's basically the nature of every business is you, you need to establish yourself and establishing yourself is always the hardest part. So I got a ton of rejection letters from agents, managers, uh, pr production companies, so on and so forth. Um, I even built up some relationships with, uh, some, some various, uh, sort somewhat prestigious people in Hollywood. Um, and I even, you know, when I eventually would send them some of my work, got some kind of harsh criticism that, and basically I think it took a toll on me. I, it, it made me sick almost physically sick to the stomach to think of being rejected and how much every time uh, a new letter came in because everything was by mail at that point in time, every time a new mail came in my, um, in my mailbox, my, my heart would sink and I'd know this is another rejection. So suppose that's just a long winded example of my own personal fear and I think part of being a mature man, being a mature person, really, is learning to overcome those fears. And I think the best method that I've come across for facing those fears is to take on 
a mindset that I learned. I think it was Phil Stutz was the name of the author. He wrote a book called Tools and it's to take on the mindset of saying, I got this or bring it on basically. And the idea here is that yes, life is difficult. We're not trying to change the world to fit our narrative of what we think it should be. We're trying to face it and overcome the challenges to build a strong character. This is something that I, th I think the world could use more of. And this is why I'm glad people like Jordan Peterson says this very thing. He says something along the lines of, you know, a good message to tell kids is that you're stronger than you think you are. That, yeah, life is tough. Life is going to try to knock you down. But guess what? You're up to the challenge. I love that message. And it frustrates me a little bit that some people are so determined to hate him that they refuse to accept these types of messages. I did a parody video. Um, oh, uh, it was years ago when, when his first first book came out because there was this doofus guy who uh, was trying to paint Jordan Peterson as, as transphobic and, and all these other types of things and how, how much of a hateful person he is. So I, I basically, I, uh, I read the, the chapter titles of his book, such things as treat yourself like you're someone worth caring for. Oh, that's so hateful. Surround yourself with people who want the best for you. Oh, not today, bud. You know, <laughs> uh, treat the other person like they have something, like they know something you don't. Oh, no way, you hateful bastard. These kinds of things, like just trying to show the absurdity of it is that the people who tend to hate him have absolutely no idea what he's actually suggesting and if they did they uh well the problem is you dig your heels in quite deep with these types of things right when you're when you're that type of person that you want to hate somebody you want so badly to hate them and hate their message basically you reject everything they say and 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 twist what people say so i think that's what's going on but anyway it's it is sad to me that a lot of good messages are getting lost by people determined to be hateful towards people for one reason or another. And a lot of it tends to be political differences. I mean, we're in a world right now where we're being told that if if you disagree with someone politically, then that makes you a bad human being and everything you say is corrupt and wrong and, and, um, and evil and... Therefore, uh, you are a bad human being and everything that you say and support is bad. Um, it's, it's amazing that that's the world we live in. So much hate and people, you know, people don't even see it. People don't even see how hateful they are. They don't see this 
anger and animosity they hold to their neighbors, towards their neighbors, just, and basically it's because CNN told you to think that way. I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's what it is. Oh, and Fox for that matter. Look, Fox is no better. I've seen, you know, people like Tucker Carlson and the thing is with these people, with reporters such as that, I may agree with, you know, half of what they're saying, but it's the way in which they do it, right? It's when I see somebody who's basically, um, it's becoming more and more evident to me the ways in which um, these these media outlets are trying to rile people up to anger. That's what they feed on. That's how they make their living, is by making people angry. And it's not healthy when we've got a society that's stirred up to anger against one another. And most of the time it's over stupid shit. Most of the time, if you stand back and say, okay, how is this actually affecting my life? You're going to find that it's minimal at best. Huh. That looks like my cat. Wow. It really looks like my cat. Oh, sorry about that. There was a cat running around outside that looked like my cat. And I went to go see her. And she ran off and has disappeared. So hopefully it's not my cat. Um, anyway, uh, I think I'll wrap it up there. I kind of sidetracked a little bit. So let's circle around, around back to where I was. The question I'm going to present my son with. I'm curious to see what his answer is, but what does it mean to be a man? What's the difference between being a man and a grown boy? I think... I think the answer I'm hoping to get him towards is... Taking responsibility, taking initiative, continually improving yourself to become capable, to I don't know. This is a this is a weird one because Like I say, sometimes it feels like the world wants to destroy men. And part of it is is justified, to be honest. Because when men use their power and force to impose their will, that is wrong. And that's the definition of a bully. And when you impose that will on, say, women, then little wonder so women want to break free of that and want to hold men accountable for that. Little wonder.
but I think uh, what's happening is is a little bit of throwing away the the baby with the bathwater, stripping away the noble aspects of manhood, and and lumping them together with the not so noble bits. And as I was saying before in a recent recent thing, I every day I try my best to be a good person. And I try to be the best man I can be. So of course I don't like it when I'm told that by virtue of... It's a weird thing. By virtue of being a man, you're toxic and a bad person. And yet... Ellen Page can announce herself to be a man simply by identifying that way. Uh, no work required. But for you to call yourself a man, you have to earn it. Very bizarre. It's very, very bizarre. Uh... And I know that the, the term man is very broad and, and takes on a lot of different meanings. And that's part of the problem, right? But I still think that striving to be a noble person in the face of these people who are so determined to break down gender roles that they want to tear apart what it means to be a man. I think I think the pendulum has swung a bit too far in that way. I think it needs to be reeled in. But we have to be careful about how we reel it back in. Because we don't want to become so belligerent in fighting this cause that we become the very thing we're fighting. And I know that's a little bit abstract. But this is where misogyny comes in, right? Unfortunately, I was watching this show called Bull the other day, and the, the premise of the show was that there was a female pilot, and um, and the, the jury was... and She was the sole survivor of a plane crash and on trial and the premise of it was basically was that everybody on the jury had an male or female had an unconscious bias against women in terms of like the, the, the whole stereotype of women are bad drivers that kind of thing um, which is is very weird because it, when in my law class they they basically said the opposite which is that women tend to be viewed more sympathetically than men do in trial, but they wanted to weave this narrative. It's Hollywood, right? So they wanted to weave this narr narrative of everybody is a misogynist, whether they know it or not kind of thing, which is so stupid. But this is the story they wanted to tell, whatever. They wanted to be woke, I guess. Um, so, you know, they had these jurors and the way they selected them was determining like they had them look at a piece of art and are they open-minded to it 
you know, and, and this will determine if you've got an unconscious bias, which is crazy. Have you got an unconscious bias, which is, first of all, not, not even remotely identifiable, but even if it is, uh, the, the work that's been done has basically said that you're, you're trying to, basically it's a ghost of a ghost, right? You're trying to find something there in someone that they themselves don't know is there. And then I'd either address it or just in some cases they just nick them. They say, no, we, we don't want this person on the, on the jury because they have an unconscious bias or whatever, or, um, again, it's the story they wanted to tell, but, um, but this whole idea that everybody innately has an unconscious bias against women, maybe I'm naive. And that's what most people would say is that I'm naive, but because I was, I have my entire life, um, made deliberate attempts to respect women, um, I guess I don't like the implication that I unconsciously have biases against them. Uh, my bias is against people who tell me I have a bias that I don't, right? Own your, it's the same, it's the same idiots who say, oh, own, own your racism and, and, and admit your racism. It's like, it's so stupid. You're saying on one hand, racism is really bad. And then you're saying you're, you're like holding up your hand. I am a racist. I am blah, 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 blah. It's like, so then what you hate yourself. It's like, if, if you are racist and you claim to know that, why don't you just do something about it and stop being a racist? Ho, ho, ho. There's a neat idea. Uh, I'm not a racist. I don't have anything against anyone just because of their race. And if you want to say it's unconscious, well, first of all, good luck proving that. And I think you're wrong. How dare you say, you know, what's in my subconscious better than what I do. <laughs> Idiot. Anyway. Um, wow. We, I am going on tangents galore today, aren't I? <laughs> Where was I? Um, being a man, being a true man. What do I expect of my son? What do I hope for my son? Well, he's going to have to overcome a lot. And the challenges that I'm talking about and, and the stupidity that I'm talking about seems to me like it's going to only amplify as he develops into a man. So he's going to need tools to overcome that. Um, but I think a good starting point is him acknowledging the, the attributes that are, I, I use the word noble quite a bit, but that are, the, the traits that are admirable, the, the types of things that will help him develop into the kind of person that he can be proud of. I mean, I'm going to be, as long as I see him doing his best, I will be proud of him. So it's not about what you accomplish. It's about how you live each moment of your life. And listen, here's an example. I open the car door for my wife. Um, not every time, most times. It's sometimes it's just simply not practical because she gets there first. But I try to open the door for her. She likes that, actually. She, she doesn't call it, uh, uh, what do they call it, virtuous sexism or whatever stupid word they come up with. 
because I like showing that I have a respect for her and I, I do have a respect for her and I'm here for her and I would sacrifice my life for her if required. I feel like despite these efforts, the world seems intent on um, attacking acts of chivalry. And people complain, no, chivalry is dead. They've been complaining about that for decades. Chivalry is dead. Well, what do you expect when you come out and say men are toxic? Like, what do you expect when you teach your sons that kind of thing? Instead, let's treat our, teach our sons to be respectful towards women, respectful towards themselves. Just how about respectful in general? Take responsibility. Take some ownership over yourself, over your successes and over your failures. Learn from them. It's okay to fail as long as you learn from it. not sure where I'm at here. I don't know if I've... What I'm hoping is I've clarified this a little bit in my mind because like I say, I'm going to be having a nice heart-to-heart -heart with my son. I do that every now and then, probably. It's nice outside today, uh, even though it's, you know, it's it's late December. We're, I think, the 29th now. Um, but the weather's been gorgeous here. It's been ridiculously warm this year. So maybe we'll go for a little walk and discuss some of these things and kind of he's got a little bit of a plan for the future and I want to kind of make that a little more concrete um, fortify it I guess and um, if I can do that I think it will have been a successful day also successful was my workout today First first day going back to the gym in about, uh, well, since before Christmas, so uh, about five days off. It's funny because that's, it's, it's within the window of time, right? Like I noticed my strength has not dipped off at all. In fact, if anything, I think the extra recovery time did me good because uh, I, I did quite well in terms of my, my strength lifts. Um, and and even, even my, um, my, um, sorry, the words are escaping me. My, my my longer duration reps, I was able to um, to do for much much better too. So, anyway, basically, I I improved in virtually every aspect during my time off, which is quite surprising to me because my diet has not been particularly on point. We'll say. Um, but that's it for day for uh, for the day. Um. Highly doubt I'll have anything before the new year. So, Happy New Year. And I will catch you when I catch you.